it's like a wall in front of you. And all you can see is the problem. All you can see is the struggle. All you can see, Pastor, I don't have a lot to be grateful for. I got this wall in front of me. How did it get there? Well, somebody built it. That's good. Why are you looking at it? Why don't you lift your head a little bit higher and you'll be able to see beyond it? You see, I don't care how big the problem is. If you'll lift your head a little bit, you'll see God's promises are still radiating. Just waiting for you to grab a hold of them. Can somebody say amen? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Well, working on this last installment of this series, I started thinking about folks that really wonder if they have something to be thankful for. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a child of God and you're a Christian, I know that you can think of things that God has done. But you can also think of things left undone. And I think if I could be in true introspection this morning, and I say this purposely, and I want you to hear it specifically, the enemy wants us to think more of what is undone than what is done. Do you know why? Because if he can get us to think about what's not done or what's left undone, he can stop us from having a thankful heart. He can stop us from being grateful. When you look at that car that you're driving and all you can do is focus on, I need a set of tires, you pretty soon lose perspective to say, well, I could be walking. Yeah, there's a set of tires needed, but God, you provided this automobile. I thank God I need you to help provide this set of tires. But focus on what he's done and not what's undone. Pastor Ray was, was in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians this morning. And that passage in the 8th chapter talks about giving God what you have, not what you don't have. Because when we give from the perspective of what we don't have, then gratitude goes out the window. Thanksgiving is long gone. And this is what the enemy always tries to do. That's why today's message is stirring up a heart of thanksgiving. Because this time of year, you have so many that are, that are, that are, that are just jubilant on how much God, oh, thank you, but we have so many still that the enemy beats down with what they don't have. 
Therefore, they don't focus on what they do have and the one who provided what they have. Can somebody say amen? So in your notes, in the daily bustle and hustle of life, did you ever stop to think that things just weren't right? I gave my life to Jesus, maybe your thoughts are, and and it seemed like I've had more problems than promises. I've had more hurts than help. I've had more frustration than fulfillment. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? And sometimes I, I, if, I, if I can just think like some people, maybe I would sit back and say, you know, God, I, I just ain't got a fair shake here. We played some, some cards on, uh, on uh, Thanksgiving Day and played two games of, of, a, of a, or two rounds of a game called, what's it called? Phase 10. I don't know if you heard of that game. But you know what? We played two rounds, and I lost both. And the guy we were playing with won both. How many think that's not fair? How many think there might be a cheating going on? Okay, not really. No cheating. But the reality is sometimes we just think, I didn't get a fair shake here. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I've had some people say, you know, if I was around a creation... I might have helped God think this whole process through a little bit better. There's a story, and I left it in your notes. And the story was about a man man that was walking in the forest one day. He was a Christian, and he loved God, and he was walking through the forest and just just rejoicing and being grateful and being thankful to all that God had done and and just enjoying himself in a a moment of, of praise and adoration of the goodness and the glory of God. And all of a sudden, he came to this great big oak tree. And he looked up in that oak tree and just saw the majesty of God. And then his eyes started focusing on a little bitty acorn. And he looked at this, this gigantic oak tree just sprawling out for all the world to see. And he sees a little bitty acorn. Well, so mesmerized by what he was looking at, he started looking at all of them. And all of a sudden, he tripped. And he looked down, and he saw a giant wild pumpkin. Matter of fact, he saw a whole field of them. But then he started thinking the beauty of the pumpkin, but his eyes focused on a little bitty stem. He looks up at that tree. Giant tree, little bitty acorn. Little bitty stem, giant pumpkin. God, something's not right here. If I would have been there at creation, I think I would have put that great big old pumpkin on that great big old tree. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? It just makes sense. And they said, God, if I would have been there, I think I would have put that little bitty acorn on that little stem. It matches. Folks, I'm a matching kind of guy. Things need to match. And that would match up. 
Well, the guy just walked around and, and he was thinking about it and meditating on it. And he, he, he had thought so deep. You know, if he had been there at creation, he would have just changed things up a little bit. Well, he thought about it so much that he got a little tired. And he laid down against that great big oak tree. Some of you know where I'm going with this, don't you? As it was, he fell down or fell asleep as he laid down. He didn't fall down. He laid down. And as he was sleeping, one of those little bitty acorns disconnected from that branch and popped him, boom, right on the nose. Scared the daylights out of him, and he woke up screaming at the pain. And then it hit him after the acorn. What if it would have been the way I thought it should be? What if that great big pumpkin was hanging on that branch? I'd probably be dead right now. And they say the man walked away with a deeper faith in God and a greater revelation at this. And I want you to hear it, please. Whatever God is doing, God does well. Now let me bring that to your life. In your notes, I have this statement. How can we be thankful when all things aren't going good? Some of you are out there and you're just, these, these words are resonating through your mind. Pastor, you just don't understand what's happening to me right now and what I'm going through right now and what I'm dealing with right now. How can I be thankful? I, I'm, I ain't got a fair shake out of this thing. I think, you know, God, I, I know last week, Pastor, you, you were preaching on in all things give thanks. I'm not sure if I am ready. I'm kind of like Corey Ten Boom was in last week's message. If you, didn't, if you weren't here for that or you didn't see it online, you can go out to our online. You can listen to it again. But Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy was at a, a prison camp called Ravensbrook, and it was just a horrific camp. <clears throat> but in the midst of it, God was able to get through to them and help them to understand in all things to give thanks. But how can we be thankful when all things aren't good? Let me take you into God's Word. Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> Open your Bibles with me. Because I have a portion of Scripture on the screen, and I want you to take that portion off right now. Because I have the portion right before it that I wanted you to specifically open your Bibles to look at. And that is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to have 8 and 9 on the screen, but I left 6 and 7 off, and it's not even in your notes because I wanted you to write it down. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And I want you to look at this passage, and I'm, I'm reading it today out of the uh, New Living Translation. And I want you to hear the words that it has to say. It says, don't worry about anything. Heather and the worship team took us into that concept 
out of Matthew chapter 6. The only sermon that Jesus ever preached, full sermon that he preached on earth, Matthew 5th, 6th, and 7, is called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end, towards the end of the sixth chapter, he brings into this understanding, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. He said, God can take care of this stuff. He said, I clothe the lilies of the valley, he tells us in that passage. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as beautiful as the flowers. The passage goes on and tells us there in Matthew 6 that the the sparrows, they, they don't build barns. They don't harvest. But he said, I take care of them. I feed them. And then he, he makes this statement. He said, how much more valuable are you than many sparrows? So here in this passage, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Philippi is the same church that Paul was talking about there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He, 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 he applauded Philippi over and over and over about all the things they had done and all the things they were doing. And then he brought this passage in there as he's concluding the fourth chapter. And he's saying, don't worry about anything. And if you write in your Bible, please, I want you to underline this next phrase. But pray about everything. Pray about everything. Then it says there, and I'm reading on the New Living Translation once again, tell God what you need. And then this, once once again, this next phrase, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to underline this. And thank him for all he has already done. Then the interesting thing after that, then he says, then God's peace will come upon you. When you pray about everything... Worry about nothing, but thank God for what he has already done, telling him what you need, and then his peace will come over you. And I love the way that the passage concludes there in the seventh verse. He says, and the God of peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds. Your hearts, that's that place of confidence. That's that place of certainty and security. Knowing, hey, God's got this thing. And your minds, that's that place of confusion and frustration. That's that place that breeds worry. God said, I'll keep your heart and your mind. Dealing with the dichotomy of man, how we have these issues. We love God with all of our heart, soul, Mind and strength. But God, we have a difficulty loving our neighbor as ourself. Therefore, we have sometimes things that we're not thankful for. Are you with me this morning? And I'll go to the eighth verse now, and it's on the screen. Brothers, as I close this letter, let me say one more thing. And then once again, in your Bibles, in your notes, 
underline this next phrase. Think about things. Fix your thoughts on what is true, good, and right. Fix your thoughts on what's true, good, and right. Think about the things that are pure and lovely. Dwell on the things that are fine and the good about others. See the specificity of God there? He said, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then he brings in that concept. Think about the good in others. He said, anything that you can praise God about and be glad about, do that. And then Paul throws himself in the equation. He said, you've watched my life. You've known me while I was in prison. You've known me while I was being persecuted. You've known me while I've gone through all kinds of struggles. And Paul is basically saying here, you saw how I handled it. What you've seen, learned, and received in me, Paul says, do the same thing. What's Paul saying? He's saying, handle the frustrations the way I did. Handle the aggravations, the assaults, the persecution, the way I did. One brother just spoke out here. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient. God always said, hey, I'll take care of this stuff, but you got to let me have it. And you know what he said? He said, if you'll look at things the way I look at things, God's peace will overcome you. God's peace will overcome you. Now I want you to flip your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because Paul, once again, is talking to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, if you are here uh, on Wednesday nights, we are talking about the church at Ephesus right now. Well, Paul founded Ephesus, and Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus. Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus right during the time of Nero's reign, one of the most sadistic, uh, horrific, evil rulers to ever be known. Timothy was the pastor during Nero's time. And Paul is writing to Timothy, who I am sure is trying to keep his church calm and encouraged and strengthened, understanding yet that we're going to go through struggles. And they thought, well, struggles are one thing. But impaled on a wall to light up Nero's hanging gardens, that's another thing. And that's the history of Nero and how he ruled. He didn't like Christianity, and so he just killed Christians every time he needed a few extra light posts. So Paul is encouraging Timothy, and he's saying these words, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith, did you notice how I did that? Genuine. I've been working on it. Some of y'all are sitting back, well, what's he talking about? Well, I, <laughs> I usually say genuine, and I get mocked every time I do that. So I'm working on uh, the less correct vernacular. Okay, just kidding. But he said, 
When I call to remembrance your genuine, genuine faith that's in you, he said, I think about your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I think about their lives and their dedications, their commitments. And then he says, he said, Timmy, the same faith is in you. The same confidence, the same certainty is in you. And then he says these words, and I want you to underline this in your notes, please. I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you. Paul is talking to Timothy who is going through a struggle probably within himself. Uh, you know, am I, you know, pastoring's okay, but God, Ephesus, why don't you send me somewhere else? And he uses those words, stir up. How can we be thankful when all things aren't good? In God's word, the Holy Spirit is many times referred to as a fire or a flame. And in this passage, we find this picture of the Holy Spirit that's alive and well in Timothy. And Paul is reminding Timothy. Paul is encouraging Timothy. Paul is trying to strengthen, reestablish Timothy. And he says, Timothy, the Holy Spirit's still alive and well in you. The faith of God is still alive and well. But what you got to do is you got to stir up. The Greek word for that, that, that word stir up, that phrase stir up, literally means to rekindle. And it's the picture of a fireplace. Let's just use that. We have a fireplace, and, and uh, you have real wood in the fireplace. You have logs in there. And how many know you can set that thing, and it becomes a blaze, but pretty soon it starts cooling down. The fire starts cooling down and going out to where now you have just some smoldering embers. What do you have to do? You have to stir it up. You have to cause the, the connection of the of the air current to come back in and to start flowing again. Well, another thing the Holy Spirit is, is uh, revealed to is a breath or the air moving. Stir up, rekindle. And I want you to circle this next line I left in your notes for a purpose. It requires personal effort. I have had people come in, well, I'm not growing in this church anymore. Whose fault is that? The teaching hasn't changed. The word hasn't changed. Could it be that your involvement has changed? I ask people, you know what, I, I don't feel God anymore. You know, what, you know what I tell them? Who moved? God hasn't changed his place. God hasn't moved. God hasn't gone any place. It takes personal effort to do what Paul is saying, to stir up the spirit. You know what you have to do? Let me use the analogy of the fireplace. You have to take the poker of your memory and start looking at what God has already done. You've got to remember that God has already intervened in your life. God has already answered your prayer. And you've got to start focusing on what he has already done if you ever get to where he is going to done, get done. 
And you know what happens? You start seeing that little flicker. Then all of a sudden you start throwing on the logs of praise, thankfulness, gratitude. And the fire of God just starts building. And all of a sudden you get a flame of glory of the Holy Spirit burning brighter in you than ever before. Paul said, stir it up, Timmy. Remember what God has already done. Well, I don't have. Remember what God, in God you already have. I read a story about a man that that was living during World War II and and Hitler had just bombed uh, England. And he was on the street gazing at his bomb-wrecked home and he said to his wife, listen to this, please. He said to his wife, this morning someone came up to me and, and told me that we'd lost everything. And I looked at him and I said, it's a lie. I still have my health. I have my strength to carry on my job. And he looked at his wife and he said, honey, I I still have you. I still have our children and we're all safe. Oh, yeah. Hitler may have ruined my house, but he has not ruined my faith. He has not ruined my confidence in the wisdom and the love of God and my faith in the ultimate victory that I am going to overcome and we are going to overcome the enemy. He said, I'm still alive. And I'm ready for action against all that is opposed against me. I still have hope and I have a future. And I thank God that we have saved far more than we've lost. This is what this man's faith says. My buildings and my possessions may be ruined, but what we can still hold on to is our faith. And that can never be shaken or destroyed. Can somebody say amen? Let me ask you a question. What are you holding on to? What do you got locked into your hands as I was talking about last week? What are you holding in that is literally holding back and not driving you forward? Things, stuff, possessions? All of them are going to perish, but your faith In God, your hope in the promise of eternity, your confidence that through God you can do all things. Are these not the truths you can be thankful for? You know what I think? I think we easily forget just how much we have to be thankful for because we get caught up in life's daily routine. And what happens? Just like that fellow walking through the forest. God, I ain't getting a fair shake. Well, no wonder. Look at this great big oak tree and that little acorn. And this little vine and that great big pumpkin. God, I think you might have messed up a little bit at creation. Can you and I talk? And you know what God will say? I've been trying to talk. You just ain't listening. I read a story one time. There was a class assignment where the, the, the classroom was given a, a short note. They were saying, uh, the teacher said, uh, it was Thanksgiving time, and said, I want you to write down all that you have to be thankful for. Well, this one young boy in the class, he, he thought, oh, man, I got, oh, he wrote down, and the teacher was reading the notes afterwards and the, thank, the thankfulness afterwards, and the little boy wrote on there and said, I am thankful for my glasses. 
Stops the boys from punching me and the girls from kissing me. There was an elder gentleman in a church one day that this younger person was being gracious and kind and, and walked up to him and said, well, sir, have a good day. And the elder gentleman responded. He said, son, they're all good days. It's what we put in them that changes them. How can we be thankful when things aren't that good? I'm glad you asked. Thanksgiving comes from a thankful heart. And this is what Paul is writing there in Philippians. This is what Paul is writing to a young Timothy. He said, you got to look beyond all that's happening. I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. John Wesley was riding through the countryside, and, and, and he has, a, he has a, uh, either another pastor with him. And the story doesn't tell who's with him, but he has another uh, young man with him, and they're riding across this countryside, and all of a sudden they see a cow with his head laying upon the fence. In Europe, they built fences out of stone because they didn't have lots of trees, so they built it out of the fence they had plenty of, and they had lots of rocks. So they built these fences out of rock, and they got them all over the place. And all of a sudden, they, they come through the countryside, and they see this cow with his head laying on top of the rocks, the fence. And John Wesley looked at his young guy that was there with him and said, Do you know why that cow has its head resting on that fence? And I'm sure the young pastor, the young uh, man, whatever uh, case in life he was in, uh, he was probably thinking he was going to get some kind of great revelation from John Wesley. And so he, he stops and he said, Pastor Wesley, I, I'm not sure. Why does the cow have his head resting on the fence? And John Wesley responded and said, because he can't see through the fence. Amen. And the boy probably looked at him like some of y'all looking at me. And that means What? Some of us are looking through our problems, and you can't see. It's like a wall in front of you, and all you can see is the problem. All you can see is the struggle. All you can see, Pastor, I don't have a lot to be grateful for. I got this wall in front of me. How did it get there? Well, somebody built it. That's good. Why are you looking at it? Why don't you lift your head a little bit higher and you'll be able to see beyond it? You see, I don't care how big the problem is. If you'll lift your head a little bit, you'll see God's promises are still radiating. Just waiting for you to grab a hold of them. Can somebody say amen? amen. There, was a, there was a man that, that uh, uh, was seeking to understand Christianity and he was reading the Bible and he was reading about Jesus and he read the passage where it said that Jesus went about doing good. Well, that simple statement convicted the man so, so deeply that he gave his life to Christ because he was no longer satisfied for just going about. He said, there's got to be more to life than living and dying. What am I doing in this life? And then he read that passage, Jesus went about doing good. Can I say something today? Ladies and gentlemen, what that man found is that Jesus 
does not play games. He is purposeful. He is pursuant. He has a, an objective. And he has the same thing for you and I. He doesn't play games with us. He challenges the most in us because he believes the best in us. He has a plan. The Bible says he laid it out before the foundation of the world. And when you get saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, all you do is walk out of the plan of the world right into the plan of God. And God says you start walking out the thing that I have foreordained for you to walk into. But you got to stop looking at that, that brick wall. you got to stop looking at that fence and lift your head above it and say, okay, God, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand loud and proud because, God, in the crowd, I stand out because you are your light and you shine through me. That right there is worth the price of the sermon. Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do some things. Oh, did I misquote? Through me, you can do partial things. Man, what a church this is. They talk back to the preacher. John Patton, Jesus said, through me, you can do Oh, Tony, is it? Oh, Scott, how many things? Jack, how many things? Mm. Stephen, how many things? All things. Think about it. How can I be thankful when I don't have a lot to be thankful for? Preacher, are you telling me if I just start developing a thankful heart in what God has already done, then I'll be able to see all that is yet undone? I went to a restaurant, and all y'all know I'm, I'm not quiet and shy about my relationship with Christ. And I go in this restaurant, and I, and I pray over the meal. If any of you went to a restaurant with me, you know I kind of pray over the meal. Loudly. Loud and proud in the crowd. In this restaurant, I bowed my hair to, to pray, and, you know, took some time. And, and a little bit later, a waitress came over to the table and said, pardon me, are you a Christian? I have been looking for three months for a Christian to come into this restaurant because I want to know how to be saved. Well, at that time, looking around, I saw about 15 other Christians that I knew in that restaurant. And I wondered, here was this woman wanting to become a Christian, and she figured she needed to see a Christian can somebody say something? And because they don't necessarily know what a Christian looks like, they were waiting to hear a Christian pray. I just sat there and I said, thanks. Thanks, Lord. 
thank you that she saw you in me. A few weeks ago, we had one of our church members came up to me, and they were working at the hospital and, and just taking care of things over the ICU. And I don't remember exactly how he told me the story, but he was uh, cleaning up and taking care of some things, and all of a sudden, this man cried out, how, what do I have to do to be saved? This man's in ICU. Do you think maybe he saw something in this guy? Maybe he heard something from this guy. Whatever it might have been, this man's life showed the love of Jesus so much that when the man cried out in that hospital bed, he was able to walk up and introduce him to Jesus. See, James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Whatever is good and perfect comes to us from where? God. Everything we hope to have or hope to be is because of God's work, goodness working in you and me. And outside of God's goodness, we, young or old, are wretched at best. I, I get so, so tired of reading some of the garbage that I read about political correctness. Uh, if, if you are here first time, we are not a politically correct church. We are a biblically correct church. And in this, in this story that I read uh, about uh, this psychologist who was a Christian dealing with young people, the man wrote and said, the widespread refusal to let children know that the source of much of the wrong that goes on in life is due to their own fallen nature. He said, the propensity of all men acting aggressive, selfish, and out of anger or anxiety is normal. It is called the sin nature. It is a fallen. It is not right, but it's normal. It is a product of a fallen nature. And he said, but politically, political correctness says, do you tell your children that inherently all men are good? I see postings on Facebook. Man, I want to jump in the middle of some of them. Not a good idea. Thank you. Thank you. Every once in a while I'll write stuff and then I'll go quickly and erase it. Delete, 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 delete. You know the problem with children when they're told that inherently they are always good? When they know inherently they would prefer not to do good all the time? I know this doesn't apply to any of the children in here, whether you're 4 or 40 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 50. When they inherently know that they would rather not do good all the time, it contradicts what they are told by society. And you know what happens to those little kids? They start thinking themselves to be monsters in their own eyes. There's got to be something wrong with me. If I'm inherently good, but I really would like to do bad, let me begin to wind this down this morning. I am taking my time, Hensley. Thank you. Oh, I love it when you do that. You know, saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. 
So Hensley just gets me stirred up there. Just as soon as he gets completely over all this junk he's gone through, I'm sure he'll get a little louder. Come on, preach it. Let, let, me, let me say 1 Corinthians 15, 58. My dear brothers, victory is sure. Victory is sure. Will you say that with me? Victory is sure. And because your victory is sure, look what the Word of God says. Be strong, be steady. Don't stop doing what God has called you to do. Well, Pastor, you know, I'm not kind of getting a fair shake out of this. Get your head out of the fence and put it over the fence. Look beyond the problem to the promise. Always abound in the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord will ever be wasted or is ever in vain. Thanksgiving, gratitude, and gratefulness. I want you to see this. What's that last four words say? Thankfulness, gratitude, gratefulness is always a choice. Just because it's not what I think it should be doesn't mean it's not God. It always has been and always will be a choice. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we are all manufacturers in this life. Some make good. Some make trouble. Still others make excuses. And we always got to ask ourselves, which one of those three are we going to be? Are we going to be the ones making good, making trouble, or just making excuses for what isn't happening or hasn't been done? I have said for years, if you take God out of good, you know what you have left? A big old zero. You pull God out of good. You say, well, pastor, how does that apply? God has done all kinds of good in your life. But if you refuse to see God in the middle of the good that's already been done, you'll see nothing because nothing in your mind has been done. We have to look at our focus and say, God, I know you are up to something so big so unimaginably good that my mind cannot even begin to contain what you are doing. I can tell you right now, what we see God doing is never as much and as good as what we do not see. Let me give you a, a perfect example. And I left the story in your notes. Uh, in July of, of 1987, 31 years ago, there was the most horrific fire in the Yellowstone National Park's history. Almost one and a half million acres were destroyed. I don't, remember, I don't know if you did, but I remember watching that on TV because I had never been to Yellowstone at that time. And I thought, my goodness, it's going to burn up before I ever get to go visit it. And I was watching that, and it was on the news because it burned for months. Because what happened, after they started understanding the cause of it, it was not man-made. It was not. It was done by lightning. It was a fire that started by lightning. And they decided, after a few weeks of fighting the fire, they kept fighting it, but they decided to more try to contain it. Almost a million and a half acres. 
the people start was devastating. Well, the, prior, the pre- previous superintendent of park uh, uh, um, uh, of Yellowstone, Thomas Hobbs, he said, no, this is a natural fire. And so they decided to let it burn just to contain it, to, to, to shape it. And then Thomas Hobbes said these words, and I want you to underline this. I left this in your notes. I want you to underline this. Good things come out of seemingly bad things. Good things come out of seemingly bad things. It may seem like your situation is beyond control. But God said, if you let me, I'll work in the middle of it. You see, the, 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 the picture that we saw was seeming a ruined landscape. But Hobbes brought wisdom and understanding. He said, you look at it as ruined landscape, but they're actually beneficial to the park in the long run. Why? Because they burn out old growth and they re- rejuvenate with new growth. He said, the old is cleansed and the new is birthed. And we see that right up here in the mountain where we live. We hate fires. I, 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 I just like them completely. And you might be a... I'll let that thought go past my head really quick. <laughs> Pastor Ray, you're proud of me, aren't you? We need to allow our forest service people to clean the area and stop hindering that. In your life and my life, as we look, that maybe the fire is burning some things up. Remember I said the Holy Spirit is like a fire, like a flame. Maybe he's trying to clean out some old things. Maybe some of those old relationships God is removing to bring in good relationships, but we try to hang on to them. And God said, why are you trying to hang on to what I'm trying to get rid of? It doesn't mean everything and every person is bad. They just might not be good for you or good for what's going on or good for where God is planning, the growth that God has for your life. Look back to Philippians 4. Look what it says here. He said, even though you can't see what's happening, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers, many, many years ago said, you know, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be unjust. And whenever I cannot trace what his hand is doing, I can trust his heart. God always does best. Think on the things that are pure and lovely and fine and good about others. All that you can praise God for, think about those things. You see, I've concluded, ladies and gentlemen, if we would look more for God's goodness and focus less on the world's badness, we could more often see the badness of the world less frequently and the goodness of God much differently. Pastor Tim Masters 
with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.